Hi, I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome a dear friend of mine, Robin Reynolds. Robin is an artist, a creative coach, and a wonderful human being. Robin shares with us about her work in allowing individuals to tap into their creativity, to really unleash it, connect with it, and allow it to be a powerful and magical force in their lives. We really explore this notion of creativity and how every person has their own unique brand of it, yet so often it is stifled by fear and shame and is just waiting for that little kernel of inspiration to let it out. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Hi, Whitney. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for having me as a guest at your home. (laughs) It's been my pleasure. Rob and I are sitting together at her dining room table in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's right. My new home. Your new home. It's a time of transformation. It is a beautiful place. It's soon to be a beautiful retreat center for your work. Absolutely. I'm very excited about that. And thanks for for kicking this off with me. (laughs) Absolutely. So... That kind of ties into the retreat that you're going to be doing is going to be about your work, which is what we're here to talk about today. So Robin, you are a artist and a creative coach, and it sounds like this is a time in your life where you're sort of about to transition from pretty much a lifelong career that you've had into a more personal passion, creative pursuit. Sort of, yes. Um, I do I do have a story about my career, and it, I started it late. I came to it late, no. um, but I'm ready to leave it already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did it, and you conquered, and, now, and sometimes we're just ready to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what this vision is that you have? And, but you already are doing a lot of it, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff that you're already doing. You have a website. That's great. And people can check you out there and see sort of your idea. And your website, which I just love this name. I think it's so great. There's something about it. Ink and alchemy. Right. It just fits. It just It's very intriguing. It's like, ooh, what's that? So what is it? <laughs> well, I'm a creative coach, as you mentioned. And so I believe that creativity is powerful magic. I think that many of us have been disconnected from that, even though I believe as humans, we all have that capacity innate within us. But the world is uh, it's chaotic and it's crazy and it really creates a distance between us and our uh, vulnerability, our hopes, our dreams. A lot of times we just get caught up in the busyness, uh, the routine, just seeking for whatever we seek for, riches and fame and power and and just even stability. And we lose touch with that um, really beautiful creative part. And so what I do is... um, sounds like it's about art, but actually it's about personal um, development. It's about grounding and finding your voice and, and trusting that voice and being able to um, really explore that a little bit in the world and have the freedom to maybe break free from some of those things that um, hold us back or tie us down. And um, I would like to talk a little bit about how I came to it because that explains the name Ink and Alchemy. Yes. So um, I, I, am a, I started out as a chemist, but really I started out for the first 34 years of my life with no education, no real understanding of the broader world. I lived in a pretty small town. Um, Where? In Akron, Ohio. Oh, it was. um, And and I don't think it's unique. I think cities all over our country are like this. It was very dysfunctional. My family was very dysfunctional. And I experienced our whole family experienced a lot of traumatic events as I was growing up. And so without realizing it, I had internalized very bad habits, poor communication, poor relationship skills. I did not trust in myself very much. And I didn't think very highly of myself, actually. It sort of breaks my heart to look back on that and think about that. 
that's that's the truth. And so um, I eventually left Ohio through a couple of um, other traumatic events. And sometimes you have to sort of reach rock bottom to decide you want to crawl back out and decide that you're worth that. And so I'm grateful for that. I landed in Albuquerque with not much, um, two kids. I had two kids at the time. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I didn't have much money. I didn't have yeah. much, um, many options. And so, um, how long ago was that? That was, that was in 2003. And so I'm thinking like about 18, 17, 18 years. Yeah. So before I left Ohio, um, uh, my sister committed suicide and uh, mm-hmm. about a week before that I had gotten a divorce. And so it just seemed like nothing in my life was stable. And, um, in a, in a, I think I should have and could have gotten out of Ohio a lot earlier. I think I probably had the power and the capability. I just didn't understand it. It was just a very small myopic world and I was stuck in it. So I left there uh, in a snowstorm. It was kind of symbolic, driving out of this blizzard and driving west. And I came to Albuquerque. Uh, I applied to college because I thought that if I, if I could just do anything in the world, just be wild and crazy, what would it be? I had never really known anyone that had gone to college and gotten a degree personally in my little circle. And so I, I did that, and I was accepted into the chemistry department so ink and alchemy is a play on the fact that I write a lot. Um, I do a lot of painting and also I'm a chemist. Um, what drew you to study chemistry? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it was, I'm going to tell you the truth since we're on a podcast. Please do. Okay. We appreciate I, that. Yeah. I um, had a couple of drinks and I thought to myself, what would I do if the sky was the limit? Like I could just do anything. And I searched on, um, I, I think we might've even had dial up. I don't know. I thought if I'm going to go to college and spend that much money, then I'd like it to be something I can make some money from when I'm done. And, um, chemical engineering and chemistry came up. And honestly, it was like saying, you know, fly to the moon and back or something. It just didn't even make sense to me. But I thought if I'm going to have a dream, and go do something crazy. Let's be really crazy. And that's what I did. So I, I did that. I came, I got accepted. I went to school. It was um, a very long 12 years of going to school, raising kids and working at the same time. And I think that's part of the message that I have for people, which is transformation is slow. Transformation is layered and piecewise and a lot of times you don't know that it's happening. You just kind of have to trust the process. Those are two fantastic points. Because I do think that people don't take that into consideration or it's not in the forefront when we think of the word transformation. Too often it's sort of like a fiery thing where it's like instantly things are, you know, you talk about chemistry, like things are are changed. You know, they're by elementally, their, their structure, their function is changed immediately. Right. Right. And we want that. We think, oh, I want, you know, I want suddenly in my life to just something comes up and this big surprise and everything's different. Yet to your point, so often it, it is this slow and steady shift that we don't even know is happening. And I think that's so important for people to remember because, you know, as a therapist, I talk to a lot of people who will be seeing each other for a while and they, they'll say, I don't think I've made any progress. I don't, And I'll have to really kind of point out and say, wait a minute, but what about, you know, this difference and this, Mm -hmm. you know, shift and this choice you made that was, you wouldn't have made before. And, you know, it kind of takes a different view to see that progress isn't always so evident. Sometimes it it is the unseen things that are just slowly transforming and changing. And that's almost the best kind because it's sustainable. You know, change that happens over time is usually lasting where that sudden change, which, you know, none of us can you know, avoid that either. Sudden, you know, sometimes it's tragedy or trauma in our life that is transformational. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when it's a goal or part of our path, it is very slow and steady. So I appreciate that idea and notion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's, it's foundational. I think that, um, often there are, there are processes or things that are happening in our lives that are found They're They're the, the girding that other things sit on. Right. So I went to school. I went to school. I went to school. I, I chopped the wood. This is a saying I've heard a lot, you know, just chop the wood, just get up and do the thing and do the thing and do the thing. And, um, 
you're only seeing the short term. Like I've got to get through this class. I have to study for this exam. I have to do this. In the end though, it wasn't school that transformed me, but I had to do that in order to strengthen myself in certain ways. I also had to do it in order to provide for myself and get the earning potential I needed to raise two kids. But in the end, it was art and creativity that transformed me. And I wasn't ready for that until I went through actually years of this other building process. And it made me feel, I don't think everyone has to go to college to do this, but for me, that's what it was. I had to feel strong enough, capable enough and worthy enough to even be ready to dig into the deeper creativity, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you have, sometimes you just have to go through some, some things before you get to what feels and looks like transformation or some milestone because I didn't come to the creativity right away. And then when I did, I felt, um, like I was doing it in the closet. Like I was a little bit embarrassed about it. And I, I know now the reason is because it's vulnerable and it's real and it's true and it's deep and it's hard. Yeah. And I wasn't brought up that way. I was, I grew up in an environment that didn't encourage creativity, um, that, that didn't encourage good communication, didn't encourage personal growth or any of that. And so when you start doing that, I felt like it was silly. I felt like it was self-indulgent, right? Like, oh, there are more important things to do in this world. Uh, Make some money, do this, do this, do that. When in fact, the most important work we can do for ourselves and the people around us is understand who we are and take off some of those sharp edges when we can and improve slowly, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what this is about. That's fantastic. And it's very exciting because that there's so much there, you know, I mean, that can, it's pretty much endless what you can do with that concept because, you know, you, you made another great point and used another really pivotal word, which is vulnerability. And I think that there just kind of as what you alluded to is that a lot of people will not pursue create creative paths or will not allow them to see the light of day because it is vulnerable because it is this part within us. It's our own unique. Mm -hmm. And you and I kind of had this talk the first night I was here about how the amazing thing about tapping into your creativity is it's you're tapping into your personal beingness, your personal offering that only you have, you know, I'm a big believer that everyone has this unique expression to bring forth into this universe. You know, we, and each of us is our own unique light, but so often we don't think that that's true. We don't know what that is. We think, oh, I'm not, I'm not creative. I'm not an artist. I'm not this or that. And so we just kind of stifle it. But the truth is that everybody has it, right? You know, everybody has some sort of creative energy to, to bring out and to show, but it's that vulnerability piece that makes it scary because it, it is a, a part of you. You know, you can do a lot of different work and just kind of mask it as like, oh, I'm just doing this work for someone else. Or this is like the standard, like box, you know, stay within right. the box, but your creative energy is unique. And I think about things like, um, you know, cause creativity is so many things. It's, it's being an artist, but that can mean, you know, writing, it can mean acting, it can mean singing, it can mean doing stand-up comedy. I did stand-up comedy one time an amateur night and it was the most vulnerable I'd ever felt. And I've I, done I, it. I was like, oh, you did it too? I've done it. I was yeah. like, I've never do that. I was like, I would rather like, you know, do a public therapy session than do comedy. Cause comedy is so personal mm-hmm. and it's, there, it feels like there's so much on the line because if nobody laughs, which nobody laughed when I did my session. Yeah. It feels like, Oh my gosh, I tried to offer something for this specific pursuit and it didn't work. But what I'm getting at is that, you know, it feels like you're just really opening up and just letting out your own unique brand. And if it falls or fails, it's, you know, Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. I, no, I totally agree. And one thing I did when I was going to, to university is, um, I, I got lost in it a little bit and I overcompensated. And so I think we do this in the world, right? It could be college. It could be uh, drinking. It can be uh, relationships. There are so many ways that we cope with things and we kind of try to manipulate our reality, right? To make it easier on ourselves. And so, um, you know, here's this poor girl from Ohio, you know, suddenly, and not only did I start going to school for chemistry, I got a job at a, at a laboratory and it's as a benchtop chemist. And so it was crazy, scary and ridiculous. And every day I was like overwhelmed by it. But at the same time, I was in awe that I could even do such a thing. Right. And so I, I, I know now that I overcompensated a little bit and I, I went to school, I got a couple degrees. I really, really had to spend all of my time on that. 
And at a certain point I realized, okay, I've gone from this dysfunctional situation to another one, which on the surface looks like it's good. I mean, who can argue with going and getting a college degree, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? It was dysfunctional too, because I was almost obsessively doing it. Mm -hmm. I was not really still understanding what I needed, who I was, how could I really understand um, what I needed and do that for myself. I was just, again, using a coping mechanism. A little more positive than, you know, sitting at the bar and going home with some guy or whatever it is that we do, right? Yeah. But I had to take a good hard look at that at one point and say, you can't keep going down these black holes. And that's what ink and alchemy is to me. And that's what creativity is to me. It's, I think I was addicted to chaos. And many of us are, if, oh, yeah. you know, I was addicted to that and I was creating chaos in my life. And then I was masking it as good chaos, Yeah. but it was still chaos. And so creativity creates a really quiet space in your life. If you do it as a daily practice, it's really a form of meditation, but it really connects your mind and your body and your, and your intellect and your heart and your soul, because it's all there together and you're moving your hand, whether you're painting or writing or singing or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really sort of cohesive, integrated practice that for me works. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it can be very spiritual as well. Well, it's completely spiritual. It's cause it literally is acknowledging and exploring your spirit because your spirit's what's coming through when you when you make any sort of piece of art or creative thing it literally is like your unique spiritual expression coming through and you know when you make that point I mean goodness knows I, I know a lot about the addiction to chaos and to me that's all about feeling so uncomfortable within ourselves that we want to like tamper and play with things outside that match more us more closely how we feel about ourselves and about life which is that it's more comfortable to be for things to be crazy and dramatic and chaotic mm-hmm. rather than that stillness. Yet when you find a creative pursuit, when you find you want to tap into something within you, it can be a healthier outlet and it can create this stillness because what's within us is always pretty still as opposed to what's outside of us. Right. It's not that place of, of avoidance. Although to your point, just anybody can be addicted or abuse anything and people can dive into their creative pursuits and ignore other parts of their life. It's all about balance. Right. Right. But I I think that more often it's just, it usually is a healthier thing to tap into because it is calmer and it's not usually as chaotic. There's some peace and stillness within that space of creativity. Yeah. And I think when you get there and you start being able to hear what you really think, uh, you can make better decisions. You can create different kinds of relationships, more resilient, healthy relationships, which has been a huge change in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's something that people are afraid of. And so, so going back to the comedy and, and things like that, you know, after I was here for a while, I did performance poetry. So I was writing, I was writing a lot of poetry. I met some people and I decided that I would go with them, you know, to breweries and do this slam poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's essentially competitive poetry, which is a little funny, but you know, you get up there, you do this and then they're scoring and all this. Well, I loved it. It, it was hard at first, but the, it was very informal and everyone was very encouraging. So I loved doing that. And I did it for a long time. Um, we did some competitions, we won some things And then um, one day I was coming off of stage and a woman stopped me and said, you know, I've always wanted to do that. I don't don't know how you can do that. That started happening to me a lot, whether it was performance poetry. I started doing comedy and I started hosting shows throughout Albuquerque for a couple of years. I did that and um, they were variety shows. I would interject poetry and some comedy and there were, you know, a magician, a burlesque person, like all these things. How fun. I can totally see you doing that. Yeah. It it was really fun. (laughs) I wish you were still doing that. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be great. COVID kind of put a damper on that, but it was, it was great. But the thing, the real common denominator is people were often coming up to me and saying, oh, I love this so much. This just speaks to my heart. And what I saw is a fear of people speaking out and saying these things because I was being pretty vulnerable at that point. I had gotten better at it. Mm. And so, um, I think it makes me a little sad that there are people out there, particularly middle-aged women. I mean, I think that I'm a middle-aged woman. I find them really gravitating to me and coming up to me and saying, gosh, I want to do that. 
but I don't know how to start, especially with just creating something like a painting or a, pa- a poet poem or something. It's as simple as just starting. It's huh. actually not physically hard, but it's really hard inside to get past that barrier. Oh, yeah. Well, I think there's a reason that because most of the women I have on the show are middle aged women. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a reason why they're coming to you and why they're more ready to come forward with sort of personal passion and spiritual and soul pursuits is that I think that they've slowed down. I think they've kind of reached a place of less chaos, maybe, or more acceptance of their self, more comfortable with themselves by that point in life. Because I mean, so much of, I would say your, your twenties definitely, but even, you know, I'm into my, well into my thirties and you're still a little bit trying to figure out like, am I okay with myself? Can I be okay with myself? Can I just be me? And I think as you reach more into middle age, it's, it's like, yeah, I can. And I think I actually want to do the things that I want to do. And I think I want to bring out the things that I think about a lot and that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so I think they're all kind of drawn towards that. And so they, when they see someone else doing that, they think, oh my goodness, she's doing it. Maybe I could do that. Maybe I could be a stand-up like I always thought. Maybe I could host a show or be a burlesque dancer or whatever it is. It's never too late for any of these things. And, and, but I think that it's that again, the vulnerability and the fear, but I think that by the time someone's in middle age, it's more like, ah, might as well go for it. You know, I did all the things you were supposed to do, or maybe not, you know, maybe you've kind of led a, a different path, but either way, I think you find yourself in this position where you're ready to kind of open up a little more. Yeah. And I think a lot of women have filled their lives with things for Mm -hmm. other people. You know, some of them have gotten married and had a family and had kids and spent 20 years doing other people's laundry and fixing lunches and rushing off to work. Not everyone has taken that path, but they, but a lot of us, regardless of whether it was family or something else, we feel pushed to do things based on what other people expect of us. And I think by the time you get to middle age, um, we're a little sick of it. <laughs> right? yeah. And we yep. kind of really want something deeper and better and real for ourselves, not this constant rushing around and trying to please people. And if I'm honest about it, it, it was, I was probably 40 before I actually could hear myself think in my head very well. And mm-hmm. it, it's scary when I think about that. I, I think what I had in my head was the clanging of my past and what people wanted from me and, and also the chaos I was imposing upon myself because of the decisions I was making. And all of that was preventing me from really knowing what I really thought, which is to say, we're going about life on autopilot. If if you're doing that, you're just going through the motions and, um, that's not the kind of life I wanted. I realized. Mm -hmm. So for me, the way to get rid of that clanging and, and all of that noise, was to go inside myself and do this creative endeavor. And as a, as a really great uh, side benefit, there's a huge creative community out there of women and people who um, are supportive and incredible and just really kind. And so that's been a great thing too, just finding those people. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, a different dynamic and a different sort of community. Mm-hmm. I think when people are at that place where they're more comfortable with themselves and kind of letting, you know, their true passions come out and sharing that in a supportive manner. I agree. Yeah. And so it's been absolutely transformative for me. I mean, it's changed my whole life, uh, changed who I am. I think it actually revealed who I really was and I was able to bring that forth. And, um, I love doing creative coaching. I love working with people just, just to get through that hard place of it doesn't matter if what you make is beautiful. I really believe that it's not just a trite saying to me, the beauty is in the process of what we're creating and, and how we're thinking about it and what we're doing to get there. And if you end up with a beautiful artwork, then that's just a fringe benefit, but it's not required. And I think that that's another uh, thing that people don't necessarily understand is that fine art in a museum is not the same thing as doing your own personal art practice. It can look any way you want. It can doesn't have to be beautiful, which is very freeing, right? Because if you take away all the expectations, it's just your personal meditative process, which yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. And you can just honor your expression, whatever that looks like. Right. But that's such a hard thing for us to do most of the time. And I think especially the the younger you are and 
you know, just, just throughout life in general, I think it's just very challenging to say, this is what I did. This is what I can do. And I can just be happy with that. It's so much tied to external praise and acknowledgement. And I don't know that that ever goes away fully, no matter how old you are. But I, I do know that I feel like I have met women who aren't as attached to that and are just kind of doing what they love and creating things. And it's so inspiring to see, cause man, I would love to be able to release that attachment to external validation, external approval. And, you know, of course we live in a world where we, the people who are exalted are the ones who are super successful and make a ton of money and get all the praise. And so we look at that and think, wow, that's what I want. And not to say like when we make our art or creative outlets, it's nice when people connect with it because of what you said, when people say what you put out there, what you created inspired me and maybe mm-hmm. think I want to do something like that, or that's so, you know, awesome and just beautiful and makes me recognize maybe I can do something beautiful. And I think that's the most powerful message when you put yourself out there is not like, Oh, I, I wish I could do what they do. It's I wish I could do what I can do in my right. own way. I agree with that. And, and I know, you know, we, we chatted about this earlier. I, I believe in abundance. And so, uh, I, I don't attach, you know, a monetary value to art, but I do believe in remarkable abundance. Like, uh, you know, I may get so many spiritual revelations or blessings. I may meet so many incredible people, like an overabundant amount of great things in my life it doesn't have to be money or fame or fortune or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But I could also make money. Right. Or that's what I've been trying to get my head around lately. Um, it's okay to do it all. It's okay to make decent money and have good things in the world. As long as I feel good about how I got there and I Mm -hmm. still have that, my own, um, integrity intact and my own personal practice there. Um, because for a while, I think I, I I was getting a little confused or a little, you know, thinking maybe I don't care about money. Maybe I don't care about my career. The fact is I kind of want a good balance of it all. Yeah. And I think that's okay to have. That's okay. Yeah. We have to remind ourselves of that too, that we are worthy of all the good things yeah. in this world. And they are, um, some of them are uh, financial and some of them are other things that are probably even more valuable, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that nothing, none of those things are inherently bad. I mean, I think it's unfortunate that we focus on money, yet money is not inherently bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's energy. I mean, ultimately money is just energy. It's you get what you put out. I mean, it comes to you sometimes in a windfall and other times there's a lack and, you know, it's this give and take. It's an energetic thing. And to have it come into your life is not negative. I think that the only thing is just like anything else, we can make it negative based on our beliefs around it. If we have a scarcity mindset about money, we, mm. people often find themselves, you know, constantly in financial strife because that's sort of the belief they hold, which is that you can't keep money or that you'll never be able to truly have money. Yet, you know, I think that it's, if it, when it does come in and you do get reap the rewards of the work that you do, that's, it's a blessing. We don't want to turn away things that are, a gift yet it's, we just don't, we want to be mindful of what is our association with this thing Our and, you know, I talked to this about this a lot to myself, but also to clients, which mm-hmm. is that how tied are you to these things? You know, money in itself is not bad. Attractiveness is not bad, but it, what matters is how attached are you to those things that what if one of them should go away? What if somebody should not offer you this, that, or the other thing, does your sense of self just plummet? And I think unfortunately that's where most of us find ourselves is, that we're tied to the idea of who we are, what we do, how people respond to us, how successful we are. And that's a curious place to be because any of those things, again, energetically can change at any moment. And that's the cycle of life, which, you know, as you spoke to earlier, sometimes we go through windfalls like you kind of are. You came into a new home that just happened to have a beautiful unit in the back that you can now rent out. And now you have a new income and new stream of income and you're about to do, you know, your work and all these things are coming towards you. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. And it's like, is, oh my gosh, is this real? Is this going to stay? But I think it's a matter of just navigating through that the same way we do in our harder times where it feels like everything is falling apart. What am I going to do? When is this going to end? How is this going to work out? Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's the yin and the yang, the ups and the downs. We have to trust and and thank that process for what it is, as hard as that might be when things are challenging and 
allow for it and not question it, even when things are really, really good. Absolutely. I think both are equally hard. (laughs) Oh yes. I I agree. I'm, I'm kind of, um, you know, like you said, I feel like I'm on a little bit of an upswing right now Mm -hmm. and it feels fantastic and also a little bit overwhelming. I definitely have experienced those rock bottom moments, you know, pretty sustained ones. And I know that you kind of have to just, just, uh, keep walking. Right. So, um, I like where I'm at now. I do, I do think that the creative process that I use has gotten me to a place where I care much less about external validation. Mm -hmm. And part of that may be the age, like you mentioned earlier. Um, we just get to a place as women where we, we care a little less, Mm -hmm. But I really think um, a lot of this for me was very intentional, really just having to work through it. And somehow on paper, um, whether it's paint or, or the written word, I found the things that were important to me. And so uh, it's helped me at even at work and in all of my personal relationships. Um, I, I find that I can communicate so much more clearly, and honestly, and effectively with people when I, when I know that I'm solid and grounded in what I think, and, um, I like who I am now. And I think this process has gotten me there. Oh man, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most that anyone could ever hope for is to get to that place where you're, you can say, ultimately, finally, after everything we go through in this life, all the ups and downs, I'm really glad about who I am and I can embrace that. And because it, it must be a beautiful feeling. I'm not quite there yet. I have some moments. Because the, the thing is that not being there is is pretty rough. You know, it's hard to sit with yourself and say, I don't know if I'm okay with myself yet. I don't know if I can just be me and feel that sense of peace and satisfaction and just like a sense of home. Like this is me and I feel at home with myself. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I will say that um, the interesting thing is that I didn't, fundamentally change who I am. I mean, I've gotten better skills and I've changed the way I exist in the world in some ways, but really I'm still me, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that feeling that whatever age you were, you're, you're just this almost like a little girl inside. You're still that same person you've always been. Oh. I still have that. Mm-hmm. And I had for the long, for many, many years, uh, shame, it's so, it's so hard, right? So destructive. And we, we, we self-destruct because of shame and guilt. And, um, in many cases it's from things that probably weren't even our fault, but we've internalized that you probably, um, experienced this in your practice, right? Mm-hmm. Or even personally for yourself. Yeah. And then there are things that you've actually done that are ridiculous that you shouldn't have done to begin with. You weren't the person you should have been. And when you look back that you're embarrassed of that, or you wish you had chosen differently. And what has happened for me is that finally, none of that changed. I'm still that person that did that stuff. But I realize I'm okay with that because I did what I did at the time with what I had. I have changed who I am now. A lot of those things I would never do now today, mm-hmm. but I'm sure I'll do something else <laughs> that I'm going to be embarrassed about later. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think I've just learned how to love and forgive myself for like the first time in my life. And so I, I do hope you find that because it's, it is really pretty good. I'm on the path. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it doesn't mean I'm perfect or anything, or I think I'm perfect. And I'm constantly trying to do this introspection and be better. Um, but also, gosh, we've just, this life is short and we've got to love ourselves at some yeah. point. And we can't wait till we're perfect because it's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, what, what kind of just came to mind is that it seems like at a certain point, we're finally willing to give up the fight. And I think this is something that we might've brought up in one of our conversations during my visit is that there's sometimes there's like, there's this war with ourselves. Like there's this battle that's going on. I know I felt that most of my life where there's this one part that does just really appreciate and genuinely love unconditionally myself and exactly who I am. And there's this other part that's still really angry about mm. certain choices. It's, it's shame, it's regret, it's guilt. It's all of those things. It's anger that, you know, it's, it's, it is sort of like this war sometimes. And it's some days, you know, the part of you that's unconditionally loving and accepting and at peace with yourself is there. And other times it's this part of you that says, how could you have done that? You messed everything up. How could you have done that? You're a terrible person. You know, I actually was talking with somebody yesterday 
who's sort of like a trauma coach. And she said something that was really powerful for her was to paint that part, sort of the critic, the critic, the end, the part inside of you, like sort of, there's also that phrase that says there's two wolves inside of us at all times, mm-hmm. which one, you know, they're always fighting, which one wins while well, the one you give more power to. So that sort of angrier, we'll call it like sort of the like shadow wolf, you know, the mm-hmm. one that carries that sort of, you know, that anger, shame feeling, what does it look like? And she said it really helps because you kind of get to see, like, you get to have some compassion for yourself. Because she said she painted this really horrific creature. And she was like, that's what's inside of me sometimes. And, like, how, it's, like, scarier than any horror movie. And that's what it feels like sometimes, where it's like, oh, man, like, this voice is so mean and so unrelenting. And and I think on the flip side, it's also probably pretty powerful to draw that more forgiving, loving mm. side, the lighter side that is compassion and that because to know like, okay, well, at least that's always there, you know, at least there's always this nice, bright light place within me, even if there is this sort of darkness. But the thing is that just like you said, like there's always those, that little girl within us. Well, my thought is that those dark parts are, are also other versions of ourselves that are still just really mad or hurt or scared. And they're still kind of stuck in that place energetically. You know, there's, there's something called inner child work, which I do all the time with clients and talk a lot about on the show. But an inner child is, and one of my podcast guests made this point, is that it's just stored energy. It's that part of you at that moment in your life that just got just kind of stored with this like powerful, palpable, angry, or shameful energy. So all of this to say is that that's the battle that's fighting. And it sounds like women in particular, I think because we spend so much of our life addressing our emotions and exploring them and just being with them it because it's it's more of the feminine energy to sort of that watery energy where it's like what are these emotions what is it that when you get to a certain point you again you want to kind of just you don't you want to give up that fight you want to see if there's a way to not try to fight the angry voice like not try to prevent it but just kind of offer some love to it you know and then when that kind of starts to fade away I think that there is more of a, a balance I don't think that that voice ever goes away maybe completely yeah I don't think so either and you know I what I for most of my life I was not very good at understanding my emotions mm-hmm. or communicating effectively I was very compartmentalized very closed off to people I was friendly I was nice but I wasn't really opening up to people and I didn't know that it was just the way I was and then partway through college and by the way I was away from the really traumatic family and all of this. And I had created my own life, which was safe now. And so I started exploring some of that. And uh, even though I thought I had made some progress, a really good friend of mine sent me a text one day. Her name is Lisa. And she she just said, I want you to know I was thinking about little Lisa and little Robin and I love them. And do you know, I just started crying and crying and I realized I can't even think about myself as a younger child. I couldn't at the time. It was just too hard. And that's when I knew I had some work to do Mm -hmm. and I've had some failed relationships. I've chosen relationships that probably were not for me because I didn't know who I was or what I wanted or needed. And so um, now what I find throughout, through all of this work is that I can be more loving to myself and other people. Whereas before, I just think I was a little bit surface about it. I was closed off. And, you know, it's probably something that people do, you know, commonly in response to trauma. It it just changed my life to be able to realize that what I was doing was protecting myself. But, but I was also cheating myself because I didn't have the depth in the relationships that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear my voice very well. Uh, I couldn't heal myself because I was in too tight of a cocoon and I couldn't do that, you know? Yeah. And that is, is a really, I want to say challenging, but that's not even the right word. It's sort of a, a daunting and kind of a, a hard thing to face is when you recognize just that where you see, oh man, there's work to do. Mm-hmm. There's still more, there's something I need to get to because just what you said, it's, when you haven't addressed certain things, you do sort of stay at this certain level, mm-hmm. this surface level where you recognize there's way more depth to me, but I'm avoiding something underneath there. And so I'm not going there. And, you know, that's a lot. It, it's kind of like getting sober. You know, when I first decided to get sober and actually acknowledge that I had a problem with substance use and addiction, 
you know, it's a bummer. <laughs> it's not yeah. fun. It's like, damn it. I want to keep partying. I want to, I wanted to keep having the fun, but still be able to be a, a healthy functional person. But I couldn't have both. I, I think that's the definition of sort of rock bottom is where you recognize I can't be the person I want to be. If I keep acting the way that I currently want to act, which is still kind of having, you know, getting to have your cake and eat it too, in terms of like drug and alcohol use or addiction. And it's hard because you wonder like, well, now what? you know, or how, how do I get to these things? It's too painful. And then especially for addicts, the hard thing is that you take away their, you know, their anesthetic, you take away the thing that kind of kept them from feeling. And then you have to walk that dark path of who you really are and what you actually went through. And, and that, you know, your inner child, those little yous that are still in there, like hurting and crying. And you're, it's like, oh my goodness, you have to kind of go and figure out how to make peace with them. Yes. And, and, and when you describe it that way, one can understand why some people just avoid it altogether because it's not pleasant. Absolutely. Right. But I, I think it's worth it. I personally yeah. think it's worth it for me. Um, and that's, I think it's worth it for my clients to just, you know, take a deep breath, explore on paper, do journaling. Um, like you said, with your, your, uh, client or friend that painted the, the shadow wolf, you know, those kinds of exercises, um, really are, more valuable than they seem on the surface. And they'll, they'll echo through months. You know, you'll, you might come back to that in your mind and get a new um, insight about that later because yes. your mind is working on that and, and your intellect is working on that. If you can give it just a little opening. Absolutely. And first of all, I can totally see you doing that in one of your retreats and workshops is having people yes. draw that part of themselves. How yeah. powerful would that be? But also I love that you pointed that out because I remember I became a therapist because I went to a therapist and it was really transformative for me. And it meant everything to me to actually be heard by someone who, and to share my story with someone who didn't know my story. And so it felt very validating that they would say, wow, you know, cause a friend and a family member can only say so much. And often they just want to coddle and, right. and comfort you. But for someone to not know you and say, oh my gosh, like, of course you're struggling. Of course you're having a hard time. And it, it was, it was wonderful. And a point that my therapist made to me once is I'm a very impatient person. And I'm like, well, I'm not better and nothing's happening. And I have to write everything down because, you know, I have these revelations and then I forget them. And my therapist said, you don't forget them. She said, when something happens, it's like this bubble that kind of comes to the surface and you can't take that back. You know, and I, and now I encourage my clients that because it can feel that way. Like I just, I know I have all these thoughts, but then I forget them and something comes out and then it's gone. But just what you said, your mind keeps working on it. It opens up this thing. It's this seed. It's this opening in your being, in your mind and in your body that it is now sort of has this release of, and you're never the same. Absolutely. And, and back to where we started, you're never the same. And it just takes one tiny layer, one tiny layer. I like to think of that. My, my, um, art journaling is very layered and, um, often I'll just work on a part of a page, come back a couple of days later, put something else on it. In the end, I often can't even remember how I got from start to finish, <laughs> but that's okay. And that's, that's like life, right? I love that idea that, we wouldn't be at this final product or this, you know, current state without what had come before. Some of it's not even good. Some of it's very ugly, but it's under there and it's what's supporting everything else. And we just need the tiny pieces to all fit together. And at some point it comes, it comes together into something beautiful and fantastic, but we have to be patient to do it. Yeah, right back to what you were speaking of in the beginning, which is allowing success to be a lot or change to be Mm -hmm. a slow and steady process rather than immediate. And I think that, and you know, I was thinking this before when we're talking about those people who, those who don't want to look at any of this, who don't want to go there because it's too scary and hard. And it reminds me of our, that our society allows us so many outlets and avenues to not go there because we have so many things that provide immediate gratification. And I think that's why we struggle with things that are slow and steady processes, things that take time that when we allow things to, to gestate and bloom at their own time, because we're used to being able to do something and get a result Right. right away. And those who don't want to deal with their emotions, well, you have about 5 billion other options. And the thing is that a lot of people will offer you a lot of things that are instantaneous. They'll say, come do, you know, come try this, do that. All these different things that are, again, they're not inherently bad, but there are a lot of distractions, but rarely is anyone, no one but ourselves can say, maybe I should look at this within because no one else knows. 
really. I mean, people can identify that someone might be struggling, having a problem, but only we really know if something's kind of off or needs to be addressed. So we, we're the only ones who can make that bold decision to say, I think I need to do some inner work. I think I need to go there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I would almost uh, take it one step further and say, you know, you said society allows for all these distractions. I often think our, our whole society is set up intention. It's set up. It's not just allowing it. It's forcing and pushing a lot of this um, disconnection from other people, from empathy, from really our own emotions and other people's emotions. Uh, and, and there are reasons for it. You know, I mean, there are... Uh, People who aren't that aware are easier to uh, sell things to or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I think we just have to be really careful. And so this, the the creative practice to me is a counter to that. It's not that I don't, I'm not susceptible to all of that in the world, mm -hmm. but it's a counter to it and it, it helps to balance it a little bit. And if you don't have something to balance it, I'm afraid that many people do become cut off from their real fears, their real feelings, people other people. Yeah. Their real yeah. emotions and their real creative juices, right? Expressions yeah. that they, it's just waiting to come out and is hard to access when we are constantly distracted or, you know, focused on other things. And, you know, that's again, something that I, I talk about a lot is that, you know, when you look at our world right now, the concerning thing is that we've created a consumer culture society. And so, there's, we've invested a lot in people needing things. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of need when the reality is that just because what you describe about the creative process is process. It essentially, you don't need anything. We could, you know, we're sitting here at this table. We could literally, I mean, maybe we want some pens and right. some paint, but you don't need a lot to express yourself. Right. I mean, if you're doing writing, you can just you know, again, just a pen, some paper, you yeah. know, if you're singing, you don't need a darn thing. Right. You know, if you're acting, if you're doing these different things, you're right. You're making up some comedy. You don't need anything when you're really tapping into yourself. And when you learn that what a valuable resource you are and I'll be, I'm interested to see what happens in the next few decades. Cause I personally don't believe that the way we live now is sustainable. I think a lot of people don't believe that mm -hmm. because we, we're constantly, purchasing and buying and getting, 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 acquiring more and more things that we don't really need. And I think when more people kind of slow down and just sort of get more interested in themselves, you take away that sort of need, like all that energy we put out outside of ourselves, we kind of bring it in and we're not really in want of much when we're at peace with ourselves and mm -hmm. in that process of creation just from ourselves. And I just see such a beautiful thing from that. And I shared this analogy with you that I sort of see humans as like this mosaic and we need every single piece to be able to step back and see this whole glorious picture, which literally means every single person has to shine their light. You need each light. You need each little piece, their own. And every piece is a little bit different Yeah, in a mosaic. It is just even, even if just a little bit, they're all different. We need them all. And I think when people are able to do that and just be that piece that they are, it's just a different experience of life. And I like to believe that we're moving towards that because I think we've gone so far the opposite way and we're all suffering so much for it that people are more yearning. I think our soul is literally yearning to be expressed and to be heard because I think often we ignore that calling and you can call it whatever you want, just call it your higher self or even your spirit or just, you know, you, your true self. And we don't listen to that. I agree. And there's a piece that's kind of related to this, which is um, to my art, and that is nature and the world, right? So um, I love to create art from found materials, reclaimed materials, and things I find in nature. And so I like to look at my creative process as sort of like a treasure hunt, because it makes every day, um, you know, a little more engaging and exciting and you don't need, you know, fancy paints or a giant easel or whatever. Like you said, you can just have some grungy old notebook and a pen and some glue or whatever. And it's, it's connecting to nature and to yourself. We need more of that. Mm -hmm. We really do. And we need to understand, I think connecting to nature in that way, um, 
like we just did, Whitney, walking in the woods yeah, and the freezing mountain. Yeah, <laughs> we got to go up to the snow. What was the park? What was where were we? We were at Sandia Crest, over ten thousand feet, and boy, was it windy and cold yeah, and beautiful. We lasted about 10, 10 12 minutes. <laughs> right. We we had a good little jaunt out there, but then we we turned right around. We did. <laughs> then we went and hiked down at a different place, which was beautiful and calm and peaceful. But, you know, that's, to me, that's part of this whole process. Mm -hmm. It's not just creativity. It's just more about the experience that you're having in the world. Slow down, experience things, engage with other people, with your environment, with, with nature. Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, nature is such a perfect, gorgeous example of allowing things to just happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, again, I'm an impatient person. So sometimes I go out a hike and I'm like, that tree must be so bored. He's just sitting there for years <laughs> and years. And it takes like 20 years to grow like a few feet and man, but then you recognize like, that's all that tree wants to do. I mean, their glory in life is just that slow, steady process, unveiling, growing, seeing what they can become. And that's, I mean, I don't know. I haven't like talked to a tree directly. Well, a little bit, maybe here. You hugged one today. I did hug one. I love to. I I love spending time with them because they're just like this warm hug of like, it's okay. Like slow down, just breathe. I love to breathe with trees. Like just kind of, we'll recognize that we're literally in this symbiotic relationship with plants and trees, which, I mean, talk about being disconnected from something. You know, we're so disconnected from this, the, literal process of life that's happening all around us. We're only sitting here right now because of trees providing us oxygen and we have this relationship and, you know, we forget. And so being in nature helps you remember, oh my gosh, like this is what truly is. Everything else is like a lot of noise and distraction, but this is what it all comes down to is a connected, beautiful relationship and system, you know, nature is a system humans and life is a system. We're all interconnected. We're all working together, but we forget it. We do. And I think that it's easy to, to forget about nature, but it's, it's part of our everyday life. Right. And we go out there and we just don't even see it anymore. Right. We're just driving down the street, driving in our car, nothing wrong with cars, but um, you know, if you don't get out and walk in it, do you notice what a different experience you have if you just decide to walk? To the store versus driving. Oh, yeah. It's a completely different experience. All different things happen. Right. You don't know what can happen. And your perspective is different. And that's what happens when you get out in nature. I see and and hear and feel a lot of anxiety in the world, more so than ever, right? And when you get out in nature and you see trees and you see the enormity of the stars and this beautiful sunset or whatever you have to put things into perspective a little bit and understand that probably all of your little worries and anxieties that are plaguing you and making you uh, run around like a crazy person yeah. are not that important in the large scheme of things, which helps to bring things down a level, right? Definitely. And it makes you recognize that, again, nature shows you that everything tends to work out. Like, of course, there you can watch crazy dramas unfold in nature. It still happens. It's not like it's just peaceful right. and perfect, but it's just this allowance for the process. And it makes you realize that the things that we fight against, which become the things that keep us up at night, that keep nagging us, that we have anxiety over, is we're the only ones that have decided that there's problems there. Mm-hmm. And I recognize my, myself doing that a lot, that it's, you know, my greatest struggles, they aren't inherent truths. They're things that I've decided shouldn't have happened or need to happen. And rather than just kind of being able to surrender and accept, it's like this rigid holding on to this is how it's supposed to be. And then it causes us such distress. And I think all of us can relate to that, you know, that most of our anxiety comes from this discrepancy from what we think, how we think things should be and what they actually are. Right. I agree. And, you know, related to nature, the art that I love and is, um, it emulates nature a bit and that it's not symmetrical. It's not exactly perfect. Um, my art is abstract, but I just kind of let it go. And, but what I find is if I try to create art that's like that, it's really hard. But if you look at a tree and you look how it branches or you look at ocean waves or anything you can find in nature, they're beautifully imperfect and fantastic. And, you know, I love the power of that. And then, you know, just trying to recreate that in art in a way, really it's letting go of the control. That's what that is. Yes. It's surrender. That's a practice. Yeah. To just let it go and let it be what it is, even though it might seem ugly at first. Mm-hmm. And and the oddest thing that I have 
told people many times is some of the ugliest art pieces I've ever made. I used to just crumple them up and throw them away. And now I just let them go and I go back to them later. Sometimes they end up being my favorite ones. It's the weirdest thing. You just have to let that sit there on the page and layer over top of it. And it turns out to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think that's how nature works. It just doesn't judge and just holds everything very sweetly together, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah completely. It allows everything to come up as, I mean, we call it imperfect, but literally nothing is imperfect. If, whatever, even if it's not, you know, straight or whatever, how it's supposed to look symmetric, mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it, which yeah. is perfection. And again, it's a lesson that nature can teach us. And oh my gosh, how wonderful would it be if one day we can accept things like how we look and how, you know, we show up and how we talk and, or anything that we're, we're such a self-conscious mm -hmm. species, you know, and rightfully so we have consciousness and we have to interact with one another. And, you know, that's can be uncomfortable and it can, you know, creates this, this, again, this fear, this anxiety of is it okay? Right. Is how I show up okay? Because it's not just what I think. If I have to worry about what other people are thinking when they see me and it just creates this. And I think we're, we haven't figured out how to be comfortable with that. You know, we're a fairly young species in the grand scheme of things. We just kind of came into, you know, mm -hmm. walking and conducting ourselves and being, you know, these species that we are. And it takes a while to figure that out. So I'm hopeful that someday we'll be more comfortable when we're into our you know, our middle age, which I think we're still a long way from in terms of like a, a species. And we can just be like, you know what? We're okay. Just as we are right. like nature. Let's just see how we show up and let's do that. And let's see if we can let go of judgment. And again, this is me speaking from an ideal place because goodness knows I'm not there, but I think that's where our greatest motivation is, you know, and I've talked a lot about this with other healers where we get mm -hmm. self-conscious about, you know, and am I an imposter? Because the things that I talk about, I can't still always do. Right. But I think that it's the opposite where, you know, it's really encouraging to see that we're all kind of walking this together. And so the ideas that we share and the inspirations and the, you know, the motives that we offer one another doesn't mean that we've figured it all out. It means that, hey, how can we help each other out towards this way? And because it's really more about, I think, sort of like the, you know, Native American idea of seven generations, mm -hmm. which is what we're doing today has nothing really to do with us. It's about how will people be living? How will our kids, kids, kids will be living seven generations from now? I love that. Yeah. And I, I suffered a lot with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I really did. I, I, I say did because I'm mostly over it. Every once in a while, I got a, I got a flare. Oh yeah. You get those gnarly yeah. waves of it. It's like, oh gosh, I need to run away and That's right. quit everything. But I mean, you know, like I mentioned in the beginning, here I am this like, you know, girl, you know, living in Ohio, no income potential, whatever. And then, um, I suddenly end up I'm a scientist, you know, and I, I do certain things in my life. And a lot of times I still just feel like I am that girl back in Ohio and I have no business and, and telling people things. And then even about art, I think, well, I didn't go to art school or whatever. And then at some point in the last year or two, I realized similar to what you're saying, you know what? I ha I am qualified to do a lot of things. One, just practically speaking. But secondly, I'm definitely qualified to encourage and lift people up and inspire people and hold their hand while they walk across the hard part of getting to the creative page or getting to know themselves or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that's all we have to do is help each other just a tiny little bit. We do not have to be the world's foremost expert on that. Yeah. They just, a lot of times people already know what to do, actually. Do you find this in your practice? They kind of sort of know, but they just need some help. Always. Or someone to nod their head and say, you're Always. doing great. Yeah. Well, again, this comes up a lot in the show, but it's that idea that no healer, no therapist, you know, no teacher really ever, they don't do anything for the other person. It's, mm -hmm. they just open up that person's capacity and that channel for them to realize that it's, mm -hmm. it's always been within them and that they can kind of become aware of it, that they have that power to change and to see in themselves what somebody else might see. But, you know, as we've all experienced, somebody can tell us till they're blue in the face that they think that we're X, Y, or Z, you know, you don't worry about that. And, but you are wonderful, but you are mm -hmm. talented and it means nothing until something shifts within us. And we say, you know, I think, I think I might be good at this. And I think I can step out and do this. So yeah, it's just, it's that, again, when you walk alongside someone, you just sort of 
really it's, you know, you lead by example. Yes, for sure. And you know what, the process you just spoke of, I've practically seen it in my life as far as quitting smoking or quitting an addiction, perhaps someone can tell you, and theoretically you can know on paper why you should stop doing that thing. But until something clicks in your own brain and in your own heart, you're not stopping that thing. Yeah. No matter how many times someone tells you, right? It's the same thing. It's an internal process, right? But yeah. And I'm sure you can especially understand it as a mom, because I know my mom would always tell me, you know, she would literally tell me something a thousand times. And one day I would be like, Hey mom, you know what? I think I'm actually going to do this. I think I can. And she's like, I've told you that a million times. So glad you figured it out. And so I think that that's, you know, it just takes that one time where something about somebody, you know, something somebody offers or says, just, just something clicks Mm -hmm. and they say, oh. And, or maybe a thousand factors came together that day that, that you don't even, you'll never know what they are. And suddenly that person is ready. Yeah. That's actually, I think what I was talking about where I was going to school all that time and I wasn't doing anything around creativity or even personal development really, but I was learning. Actually, what I learned was that slow, patient, step-by-step-by-step, the goal's way out there, but you have to get there step-by-step. That's Mm -hmm. what I learned and um, that I was capable of doing that. And in the end, all of that came together way down the road. It just takes all those factors sometimes. Yeah. There was a quote that I, um, I went through a phase when I was in like my, my mid twenties where I was really just kind of, I had hit this bottom with just total self-rejection and I recognized Mm -hmm. like I was trying to change everything externally. And I recognized that this, this isn't about that. Not, I would think like, well, if I just got this, if I just got that and I would try to shift and maneuver and change all these things and it didn't do any good. And I hit that sort of soul bottom where I I recognized one day you're ever going to like yourself, it's not going to be about anything that you do or that you gain. It's mm. going to be about you shifting how you feel about yourself. And again, when I was talking about those low moments, it was like, well, dang it. How am I supposed to do that? <laughs> that sounds right. so incredibly hard. And to this day, it's still a challenge, but I feel I've made a lot of progress. But I started collecting quotes at that time. I started going to this great bookstore called East West Books. And it was all about like very spiritual and inspiring, you know, sort of self-healing books and work. And I would collect all these quotes in this book that I had because it just really inspired me. You know, for me, it was almost like um, the what well, was a spiritual process. I was never very religious. So it was the closest thing I had to like going somewhere that felt like sacred. Mm-hmm. And there was this quote that said, I mean, some, I'm going to butcher it, but there are certain things that must happen before something else can come into place. Mm-hmm. And that really struck me because it's, it, it, I mean, it's just another way of saying like, trust the process, right? Where sure. sometimes you can't see that, the bigger picture. We can't, we're like, well, I should be able to have this happen tomorrow. And it's like, well, you don't realize that this needs to happen and this part to lead to the perfect destination in about like five steps from here. Yeah. And five years, maybe five years. And I'm not a patient person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It'd be five years worth of things falling into place to really get to that, you know, in, in tarot terms, we would call the 10 of cups. Yes. A tarot reader and the 10 of cups is about your happily ever after. It's like, you finally reach that place where all your cups are full because you took the time to actually fill those things substantially, you know, no half cups, no, like, well, I'm a little bit happy with this. I'm a little bit Mm -hmm. 10 of cups is when you've been patient and you've said, I'm going to wait for the real deal. I'm going to take this slowly so that my cups are truly full. My cups for relationship and self-love and creative pursuits and everything that you do, they're all full. So that's, you know, the rewards are great but the patience is trying. (laughs) That's a beautiful idea though. May all of our cups be full. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're working towards. Wow. So I would really love to hear Robin about, you know, some of the, like, what are the first, talking about steps, Mm -hmm. what are the first few steps for you? You know, we're about to be in a new year. I actually really want to point that out is that we're sitting here today on the 30th, the 30th of of December, 2021. Wow. Yeah. Another uh, Amazing. another fun and wild year. Eh? Mm-hmm. We're about to go into 2022, which I'm excited about because I told you 222 is a significant angel number. So I'm just saying, <laughs> or you can look at numerology, whatever is your, you know, your deal. It's, it's a really beautiful sentiment. It's very much about peace and just a strong resonance. There's something about it that's very auspicious. Oh, auspicious. It's a very auspicious number. Anyway, so here we are on the cusp of this new year. What are the first few steps as you kind of begin to move into really transitioning into fully embracing your creative pursuits as your full-time work? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I do, <laughs> I do have a, um, a two week challenge coming up just to kind of, uh, start 2022 off really on a good creative note, set the tone. So, um, that is on my website and that's just a two week series of props and kind of inspirational things just to get everybody really deep in the creative process. And then I am cool. Everybody wants that in the new year. Yeah. Something that helps them kind of be accountable to something. Right. Okay. I'm working with Robin on this. I got to show up and do this every day. That's That's right. That's right. And then, and I'm going to share my work as well. And I'm going to go along at the same time. And then I'm launching, I'm really excited about this, a course called a call to create. Mm -hmm. And that launches in March. It's an eight week long course where, um, we have videos. Um, it's, it's about art. We're doing creative work throughout the whole eight weeks, but it's really more about finding your voice, um, feeling comfortable on paper and feeling comfortable creating and about creating a really supportive network around yourself mm-hmm. as you add that practice into your life. So I think that's going to be really great. I'm excited about it. And I begin, um, filming right after you leave. Oh, so, wow. Uh-huh. And is this the one that I'm going to get to be a guest speaker yes. for? Yes, and Whitney Walker will be a guest speaker <laughs> in this fabulous course. So you have that to look forward to as well. I'm very excited. Me too. Well, I'm excited for that and I'm excited for you. And I'm feeling very grateful for this lovely visit with you and getting to know you better and getting to have these beautiful discussions and to have you as a guest to talk about the importance of creativity. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. And Whitney, thank you for all of the work that you do in the world. It's it's really powerful. And even just coming here and spending a couple of days with me, I can feel that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robin. I hope to come back and visit many more times. Have a very happy new year, Robin. And to everybody, this will air after the new year. So I hope it's going well for everyone. I hope you're feeling that creative energy. And if you're not, go check out Robin's website. Oh, you got to share your website so people know how to find you. It is robin-reynolds.com. I would love to have you. And there'll be that and other links to your social medias and such in the show notes. So everybody check that out. Thank you. Thanks so much. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guests. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.